So family, uh, if you could open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, uh, we're going to be continuing in our Acts sermon series. And if you've been with us, we've been going through our Acts sermon series called Empowered. And and what I want to do is I want to take this brief moment to remind us what the book of Acts is truly about. The book of Acts is, is about a historical account of what took place, how the church multiplied, how the church grew how it was in God's redemptive plan that this would take place, that, that, that his spirit would pour out upon the people and they would be so impacted by what Jesus did that they would not remain still, but they live sent lives on mission. So today we're going to be Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 34. And as you're turning there, hmm, I want to take this moment. I want to take this moment for you to recall who was it that shared the gospel with you? Recalled what was, was it a coworker? Was it a friend? Was it a radio minister? Who was it that shared the good news of Jesus with you? What did they tell you that, that, that compelled your heart? We know now that it was the spirit moving in our hearts, leading us to repentance, bringing these dead bones to life, the breath of God being breathed into us. Who was it that shared the hope, the power of God with you? Now imagine if that never would have happened. Imagine if that never would have happened, if that person never would have opened their mouth to proclaim this good news to you. Where would you be? We would be without hope, without life. We would be stuck in the same pit, in the miry clay, unable to move, not even one finger up. We were dead in our trespasses. We had nothing. But God's grace being shown to you by sending someone who would share the good news with you. And as we read today in Acts 17, this is what I want us to see. And and it, and it just pops up like 3D from the pages. But what you see is Paul's heart compelled to proclaim Jesus. What would lead a man to proclaim Christ in the midst of persecution? A mob just came for him. He just got ran up Thessalonica out of Berea. And he, now he's in Athens. And he's doing the same thing that will lead him to be persecuted again and again and again. Why? We need to understand the Why? The why is very simple, but so deep and profound. So today, I look to answer that why. As we look through Acts chapter 17, it's important that we see how Paul presents the truth of the gospel, but yet with this gentle, compassionate love. See, here's the thing. Paul is the who then Today, we are the who now. 
Let me repeat that again. Paul was the who then who shared the gospel with the people. We are the who now that will share the gospel with the people. How else do you explain the rapid multiplication of the church? How else do you explain from 12 people to 2.2 estimated Christians, 2.2 billion estimated Christians? It started from 12 people. Why and how? Because the spirit of God was moving. Because the people were not being led by their own power. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is the life of a disciple of Christ. Every disciple in this room, listen to me, family. You have been empowered with the living spirit of God moving and living in you to be able to proclaim the good news. So that's why we are the who now. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We need to know the why behind the mission. That is our heart. So that's why I lead to my first point. Mission begins by being broken over the people's brokenness. Let's look at Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And this is what we're going to see. Paul hearts provoked by what he sees. Remember, he just came from Berea. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw the city was full of idols. When he saw that the city was full of idols, look at what it leads him to do. Look at where his heart is compelled to do. So he reasoned in a synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He reasoned with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Aragopas, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing, nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopas, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God being Lord of heaven and earth. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives all to mankind life and breath. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live all the face of the earth. Having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, 
as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stones, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by man whom he's appointed. He's talking about Jesus. And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, will we hear you again about this? So Paul went out from their midst. Some men joined him and believed among also who were Dionysus, the Aragype, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Look, family, this is what we're reading. Paul is compelled to preach the gospel by what he sees. Mission means being broken over the people, over their brokenness. His spirit was provoked in him when he saw them worshiping all these idols. It's said that in Athens that the marketplaces were filled with people selling all these statues, all these figurines. And he saw them buying these figurines, buying these, these small little gods. And it provoked him. He begins to rep for Jesus. He begins to reason, explain, prove, and proclaim Christ. That moment. You know, um, it was about two years ago, the Lord had opened up an opportunity for us to go to Mexico. And on this trip, uh, we knew that my, uh, my wife's uh, grandfather was very ill. And we have gotten news that he was very terminally ill, that he was possibly going to pass. So I knew where I was going. I knew I was going to go to, to Monterrey, and I knew what I was going to expect. And at that moment, we asked the Lord, we, we, we got into prayer, and we said, Lord, open up a door for us. Open up a door for us to share the gospel with this ill man. Open up a door for the gospel to share with her family who's so rooted in Catholicism. Open up a door, Lord. So, got on a plane, left on a Friday. We arrived there at the airport. One of her uncles picks us up. We get some tacos de barbacoa, Mitch, they are delicious. Man. And as we leave the restaurant, we leave immediately to the hospital. And we pull up. It's about 8 o'clock at this point. And as we're driving up and we park and we walk up to the building, you could see people in a rectangular-sized building. And all wrapping around the edges were people laid out on the floor against the building walls. Going up and down these ramps were people laying, laying against these ramps laying against these benches. And I asked one of Joanna's uncles, I said, what are they doing? And he says, well, Howard, they don't have money to pay for medical bills. And they wait here, hoping that a doctor might see them. And at that moment, my heart was so broken over the people because they had no money to be treated. They were ill and they could not be treated. My heart was broken over them. 
And all of a sudden, here comes this guy running and another guy running. And this guy has like this flag looking thing in his hands. And he runs into this, 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 like this inside area and he begins to say, we have food, we have water, we have coffee for Catholics. My heart was so provoked, so distressed. These are people on the ground who have nothing. They need help. They need help. And around that time, apparently we didn't know this, but was a season in which they celebrate the Virgin Mary. And I remember seeing all these different parades, all these things happening, and people worshiping these statues and these things. And it just provoked in my heart. So many people are so stuck in worshiping things. But see, here's the thing, what I want to drive to is that idols are not just statues. Let's make that very clear today. Idol, the word idol is not a foreign concept, a foreign word. An idol can be anything you put in the place of Jesus. An idol can be your job. It can be success for position. It can be job growth. It could be pleasure. It could be money. It could be sex. It can be relationships. It can be anything. Paul's heart in seeing these Athenians worshiping these idols knew that it would lead to their death. So he's compelled to reason with them. He begins to reason with them. And, and, And this is the very heart that we see of Christ, right? We see Christ coming down from heaven to earth to rescue sinners, broken people like us. We see Jesus coming down to save broken people like us. See, the gospel, I know we we talk about the gospel a lot here, but there is no other thing to talk about but the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel. But Paul's heart over the broken people over his love for his neighbor. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. And this is what the Lord says. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. There it is. This is the Lord speaking. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way And live and turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die? Paul wants the Athenians to repent. To turn away from things that don't bring life. He was compelled to speak hope in life. To speak the gospel. Mission starts by being broken over the people's brokenness. You know, um, my neighbor, this past week, his wife just died. And um, I realized the Lord was really placing on my heart that um, I haven't been a really good neighbor in a lot of different ways. I kind of go into my house, go out. I let him live his life. I live my life. Say hi, you know, the casual hi and bye. And 
the smile and the wave. If y'all know what I'm talking about. And um, we found out that his wife passed away this week. And I remember the Lord being, bringing to my attention, like, man, like, how have you loved your neighbors? How have I been broken over my neighbors? Have I been seeing people as they're just living life and that's it? And so the Lord brought to conviction to my heart the brokenness over their sins. Because the reality, family, is that unless we're broken over their brokenness, we will never see them as needing help. We will just see them as people that got it together. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I work with highly successful CEOs and doctors and people who went to Harvard People who went to MIT, I'm talking about, they make millions, they make million-dollar decisions every minute. And so I easily fall into, well, you know, they got it together. They got the nice house. They got the nice cars. Their children have great education. And I so easily fall into that. But as we look, as we go forward in this text, we see that mission means engaging people where there are and that the gospel is for all people. Because notice that Paul goes into the synagogues, as was his custom. He goes to basically his favorite fishing spot. And he goes to proclaim Jesus. He goes into the marketplace to reach everyday people. He met people where they were at. When we were in Mexico, that same trip, while we are at the hospital, one of uh, Joanna's uncles, he tells us, he's like, hey, uh, could you guys come over for lunch? We would really like to have you. We've heard about you. We want to meet you, talk to you. We're like, yeah, great. So we're going over there and engaging them where they were at. And we sat down around the meal. They went around the corner, literally around the corner from the house. They had like this little this chicken restaurant. And they had a bunch of chicken. It was, man, it was the best fresh chicken I've ever had in my life, man. And, and we're sitting around this meal and we begin to engage and talk. And as we're talking about, about, about his life and his brokenness and what his family's gone through and the sickness he's gone through and how his son almost died, the Lord opened up a door for me to engage him with the gospel of grace. And for the very first time, I saw a man who had heard the gospel. And his eyes were lit up. Mission means we have to engage people where they're at. We have to be willing to go to the people. You know, I was, um, we were in the Dominican Republic this year as well, or last year. And I remember there was a young man, and we engaged him. And as we engaged talking to this young man, we invited him for breakfast. And over there, you have fish for breakfast over there in the morning by the beach. And so we're on the beach having this fresh fish. And we began to talk to this young man. And he begins to tell me why he doesn't want to be a Christian anymore. He begins to tell me, I stopped being a Christian because they told me I needed to dress a certain way. I couldn't wear gold chains. I couldn't listen to certain types of music. I had to, to, to do things to show that I'm a Christian. And I got tired of trying to show people. I got tired. 
And I begin to talk to him. I said, do you think that God is pleased in the things that you do? That he looks for your good works to accept you? We met with him where he was at. We begin to explain the gospel in a way he understood it. And what we saw that day was that he understood the message. Because I asked him, I said, when Christ died for our sins, do you think that he knew what we were going to do? Do you think he knew the brokenness, the sin that you would commit afterward? And he says, no. He really thought he could lose his salvation. But what I want to focus on today is that are we willing to go and meet people where they're at? To go to the people, to share Jesus, to reason and explain and prove and proclaim Jesus. Because the why behind it is the fuel. It is the, what propels us. We, 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 we come from our being, our identity in Christ. Our newness that comes from our new identity in Christ is we want to proclaim Jesus because so many are perishing. So many are lost because you are the who now. And what we see in Acts chapter 17, we see Paul reasoning with these people who who are intellects. You You know, when you look at this chapter, and you look at who these Epicureans and Stoic philosophers are, I'm not going to get too much into that. But what I do want to say is this. Those were the greatest minds of their time. This is where Western philosophy came from. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. And he comes bringing the gospel message to them. Why? Because it is the power of God for man for salvation. That's why. And he brings this message. And he doesn't withhold it. He preaches Christ. He doesn't waver back. He preaches Christ. And it's interesting that um, when we look at this chapter, we see how Jesus used the foolishness, the foolishness of man's preaching to bring others to Christ. It's interesting how Jesus saved and changed the life of fishermen, tax collectors. It's interesting to see how Jesus saved a zealot, like a terrorist, like Simon. Because the gospel is for all people. The mission must be engaged with the people where they're at. It's for all people, for the intellect, to the person who drives a bus. And here's the point, family. You are the very agent of change where you're at to engage mission. The reason why we speak about engaging people and proclaiming the people, Jesus, is because Christ came to rescue and redeem us. There was nothing lovable about us. There's nothing good in us. But Christ loves us. Through the cross, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, that's radical love. And that's amazing love, family. So we have to be willing to engage people where they're at. Also, the mission message must be understood. 
You have to be able to communicate the gospel to people where they understand it. And that's what Paul does. Paul uses, as we see in the text, if you could turn with me to verse 23. He says this, For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, and I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He uses, can we go to that image, bro, of the altar of the unknown God? I'm going to show you what that looks like. That's the altar to the unknown God. So he's walking down Athens, and he sees this altar. And he's, he's going to the Aragopas, Mars Hill. He tells him, hey, when I was passing by, and I saw this inscription to the unknown God. Let me tell you, the unknown God, who he is, he's the creator of all. He's the one that made the heavens and the earth. He's the one that set things into motion. The reason why we breathe and live and move is because of him, because of this Jesus who I proclaim to you. He leverages He uses his surroundings to explain the gospel so people can understand it. The gospel isn't some foreign concept or identity. It's it's something that's simple, that that a child can understand it. Next door, our children are learning about the gospel. Next door, our children are learning the gospel. Today, we're learning the gospel Next week, we'll learn the gospel. Next week, they'll learn the gospel because we don't graduate from the gospel. It's what saved us, what continues to save us, and it's what leads us to Jesus every day. But this is what Paul is proclaiming to the Athenians, this gospel message. I'm going to show you something else. Can you go to the three circles? This is the three circles. Inside our missional community groups, we learn how to communicate the gospel using three circles, a pen, and a napkin. You can share the gospel with three circles, a pen, and a napkin. The gospel is not a foreign concept. We talk about God's design and creation. We talk about how he created everything, how everything was perfect Man lived with God. In the cool of the day, they would walk in the garden, kicking it with Jesus. Man was meant to live forever. But then what happens? Sin comes in. That separated us from God. Brokenness entered. The reason why I've lost some of my closest friends and family members to cancer is because of the sin in this world. But I know one day I will see them again. But the brokenness in which we live in is because of sin. Inside brokenness, we're called to repent and turn away and believe. And we look to the gospel, which is Jesus. We see what he does, that, that he comes to rescue and restore broken people The gospel isn't Jesus saves you to get you out of hell so you would sit down. The gospel is that Jesus saved you 
so radically and loved you through your brokenness in the midst of your, your mess. He died for you then. And he loved you before time began. The gospel. And we're called to pursue and rescue three circles that represent the gospel. And we learned this inside our missional community groups. And some people may say, well, what's the importance of sharing the gospel? I've heard people say that to me before. Why should we share the gospel? If God has everything in control, then he'll send somebody to go share the gospel. Well, we are that somebody. And unless someone goes, they will not hear. So we go. Because Paul goes. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of being chased out of town, as we read somewhere else in Corinthians that he was naked, shipwrecked three times, hungry, without food, shelter, at sea. Why? Because he believed the gospel message. This idea of contextualization, of making the gospel to be understood in a simple way, we see our Savior, Jesus, teaching this. Doesn't he teach it? He talks about seeds, seasons. The greatest teacher to ever live and lives now used everyday examples to everyday people to explain the deepest truths of the gospel by using seeds, farmers, seasons, shepherds, fishing, wheats and tares, hidden treasures, the parables themselves are everyday situations and stories that Jesus used himself. That's why we must learn to share the gospel in a way people can understand it. It's not something fancy. When I was in Mexico, um, one of Joanna's uncles, actually another uncle, it's like there's always like an un- more uncles in Mexico, you know? And I'm like, man, I have so many uncles, I didn't know she had. It's like 35 of them. I'm exaggerating. I'm exaggerating. But man, um, you know, while we're in Mexico, one of her uncles tells us, he's like, hey, I, w- I want you to come and teach on Sunday at our mission. And remember, I've been praying to the Lord, Lord, open up a door for me to share the gospel. And the moment that they told me that, I was like, well, I need to pray about it. I didn't need to pray about it, you know. <laughs> Come on. I've been asking the Lord for this, you know, and he makes it clear. And then my wife, I love my wife, she reminds me. She's like, well, why do you need to pray about it? She tells me this. This is what we've been praying for, remember? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know. But he opens up a door for us to share the gospel at this mission. So we walk in, and let me tell you, the, the drive over there was real sketchy. Like, we're going through these, these neighborhoods that are so broken. And, I mean, it's like houses made out of tin and pieces of wood held together. And these roads were so messed up. And you see kids walking the street that have no parents. And my heart's just breaking over what I'm seeing. And we get to the mission center. And it, and it was like, like the, the classic, you ever seen Nacho Libre? Right? Yeah, what they right? Yeah, okay. And the kids come up to the guy and they're all there. And that's exactly what happened. We get to the mission and all these kids come from the neighborhood. And and they want to be with this pastor, this this teacher, and, and they're all excited. 
And so they take them to the, to the children's ministry, and we walk in the mission center. It was a, a room probably about 12 by 12, and I'm not exaggerating. It's a 12 by 12 room, very small room, and there was about four benches. That morning, I've been practicing to teach in Spanish. Just because I'm Latino and I'm Salvadorian doesn't mean I speak Spanish very well, just so we can clear that up. I can get by, okay? I can get by. I won't go hungry. I guarantee I will not go hungry. But can I say deep things in Spanish, like hard things? No, I probably can't. So I practiced all that morning on a sermon. And when I got there, and I heard what he was saying, he begins to ask the people, he said, well, did you do your homework this week? And he begins to talk about the homework. They're supposed to read at least like 10 chapters of the Bible. And I'm like, man, okay. I'm like, all right. So, so he begins to ask the people. And he goes to this one person, one person says three. Then he gets to his wife and she's like, I read 36 chapters. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Praise Jesus. And, and then I stumble into that. Like, how many chapters did you read? And I'm like, X amount. I'm not going to tell you how many I read. Jesus knows. Um, and then my, they asked my wife, and there was about six people in this room. No kidding. And as I was going up there, have you ever been so pressed by the Spirit to do something that you know that what you're about to do is not of you? but you're stepping out in faith in God that you know that he's going to provide. That's exactly what happened. Because the sermon I had prepared was not the sermon I taught on. What I taught on was Ephesians chapter 2. Because what the Spirit had pressed in my heart was that they were so embedded with the idea they needed to do something to earn God's favor. Very works mindset that they need to show God how serious they were by the amount of chapters they would read throughout the week. There's nothing wrong, right, with reading God's word. We're called to read God's word. But at that moment, the spirit pressed to my heart, and I stepped out in faith, and I preached out of Ephesians chapter 2. And I remember telling them how by faith we become children of God and how we become, when we become children of God, God's not looking for us to earn his love, but he gives it freely as a perfect loving father. And we find the love, the ultimate love seen at the cross of Calvary. I preached the gospel of grace that day. And I'll never forget that day. One guy came up to me after the service, tears in his eyes, and he begins to tell me, he's like, I really needed to hear that today. Sometimes God presses our heart to do something that's, our, that's our outside of ourselves. That's walking out in faith. Because when you got it in control, you got it in control. But when you step out in faith and believe that God will supernaturally provide the words like he promised he would, because he gave me words to speak Spanish that day that I didn't know I could say, I'm telling you right now. And it was the shortest sermon I ever preached in my life. But what I saw that day was God's hand move. 
So this is what I'm trying to say, family. We have to be broken over the people we're trying to reach. We have to go to the people. We have to be willing to go where they're at and be willing to share with everybody the gospel message. We have to break down the gospel message so people can understand the glorious truth of the gospel. That though their sins be as crimson red, he washes us white as snow. That they would see the glory of God and the pages of the Bible proclaimed through you. Speaking gospel truth. The mission message must be understood. God is using you as that agent of change. I'm not here to, my aim years ago would probably would have been tell you why and how you're failing and not sharing the gospel. When I was very workspace and setting my mind of, I got to go share the gospel because if I don't share the gospel, I'm not a Christian. That's not my aim today. And that's a false view. My aim today is that you would be encouraged to share the hope of Christ with someone who's stuck in that pit. Listen, they have no hope without Christ. They have no hope without Christ. It hurts my heart when people, when people ask me what I think if someone made it to heaven based on the life they lived. And I say, listen, apart from Christ, no one can enter the presence of God. Nobody. Without holiness, no one will see God. We find that holiness in Christ. But at the end of the day, we have to be willing to share the message. So observe where you're at in life, the people you're around. If you're a lawyer, you can talk about contracts being broken and who comes to write the ultimate contract that will never be broken. If you're a mechanic, Talk about how God has come to repair the broken engines of our hearts. Everyday examples. If you're a student, talk about the greatest teacher that ever taught. Listen to me, family. This life, we're going to look back in this moment right now. Because eternity is far longer and wider than we have now. You might live to 65, 70, maybe 80, maybe 100. But what's those years can compare to eternity? Nothing. And I'm almost done. Mission brings persecution and fruit. Paul's proclaiming the gospel, and they begin to what? Look at it. Look at what happens. They begin to mock. Verse 32. They began to mock Paul. They heard Paul preaching this resurrected Jesus, and they begin to mock him. Mission brings persecution. You will be persecuted. I'm going to tell you all. If you've ever gone street preaching or shared the gospel with someone and they're like, I don't want to hear about that, Jesus. I've had people cuss me out. I've had, I've had people tell me their Ten Commandments about getting drunk, getting high. And this is all on the streets of Houston. I've met some pretty interesting people. And Pastor Sergio 
He knows what I'm talking about, our street days in, on, on, on the streets of downtown Houston. You can meet some interesting people in downtown Houston at one, 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. Very interesting people. Right, brother? Yes, amen to that. But they need Jesus. So you'll be persecuted, family. John 15, 20, A, says this. They persecute me, they'll also persecute you. Being a disciple of Jesus means you will be persecuted. It's not an if, it's a when. They mock Paul, but remember the message that he's bringing, 1 Corinthians 1.18, is foolishness to some people. But to others, it's the power of God. The fruit we see, who comes to the faith? Men joined him and believed, verse 34, among who were Dionysus, the Aragype, somebody from the Aragopis, a highly intelligent teacher, an intelligent mind receives the gospel. Not just somebody, but somebody of stature. Why? Because the gospel is for everybody. Who else believed? The Maris and others with them. That was the fruit. So two common objections that people have about sharing their faith that I commonly hear. Howard, I don't know enough to share the gospel. People tell me, I don't know what you know. That's what they tell me. I'm like, I don't go out knowing that I think I know it all. Because I don't know everything all. The Holy Spirit will give you words to speak. That's what he promised. Am I right? That's what it says. You can't go on your own power. Look, I've done evangelism on your own power. Trying to force it. It leads nowhere. Nowhere. But when you go out in faith and see what God does, you see fruit. Another objection. I'm afraid of rejection. This is the one I struggle with. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid if I go tell that guy from Harvard about Jesus, he might reject me. I'm afraid if I go tell that thug that I saw the other day about Jesus, he might reject me. I'm afraid that the person I go try to reach, if I go share with them about Jesus, they're going to be like, man, you're crazy. Like, keep your stuff to yourself. I struggle with that. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I struggle with the fear of rejection. But what are the truths behind those two objections? Number one, the Holy Spirit will give you words. And number two, they don't reject you. It's not your message. It's God's message. You're a messenger bringing the good news. They rejected Jesus, they'll reject you. And I conclude with this. Mission does not mean that you are responsible for the salvations of others. Let me say that again. You're not responsible for someone's salvation. You can't change no one. You're not the Holy Spirit. You have no power to do it. You can bring the message, but you can't change nobody. Psalm 3.8 says salvation is of the Lord, not of man, of the Lord. God gives the growth. You're called to plant, 
and water, but God gives the growth. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. So this is what we do. We plant the seed. We water the seed. Watch God give the growth. Why do we do this? Man, to make much of Jesus. To make much of Jesus. So family, I close with that. And I just want to remind us all today that we're called to something greater and bigger than ourselves. This life is but a moment. A grain of sand on the beach of eternity. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you, Father, for sending your son to die for us, to give us a new life, to give us a new hope, Lord, because where we were at before you came, Lord, but we were stuck in that pit. We had no way of getting to you, Lord. But you brought us hope. You forgave us of our, our crimson red stain-filled sins, God. And the brokenness that we would do and we did. You died for that on the cross of Calvary. We had nothing to bring to you, Lord, but filthy rags. But you accepted us, Lord. Not on something that we did, but because of your great promise, because of your great love for us. Lord, you called us to be your children, Lord. We believe by faith, Lord, we were able to come into your presence. And that's so amazing, Lord, to know that it is by, by, by faith alone and your son alone, Lord. We need of you, Lord, this day, Lord, to lead us to the place, Lord, to, to be one, to, to, to be compelled, Lord, to share the hope that's within us with a gentle and compassionate spirit, with that patient spirit you had with us, and we led our lives of rebellion against you. And we did not want anything to do with you. When those people spit at you at the cross, that was us. We didn't want nothing to do with your grace or your love. And then you still loved us. Lord, how amazing is your love. Your everlasting love, Lord, that leads us to repentance, Lord your goodness, your faithfulness that draws us to you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would take root in the heart of a person's heart today, Lord, that your spirit would move and bring others today to know your name. Only you can bring dead bones to life. Only you can bring the dead to life like Lazarus. Breathe, Lord, into our hearts that we may live with a passion for your name. Lead us to be passionate disciples for your kingdom, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.